You can do a little better than that, I think. Good morning. All right. I want to make sure you're awake, that you all made it here through uh, the traffic. Did anybody have to take an alternative route to get here today because of the, the uh, track meet or the, the uh, marathon? Well, we are in a, a series in 1 Timothy entitled Healthy Church. And today we're in chapter 4. I'm calling today's message Spiritual Fitness. Spiritual Fitness. Dean Gunther is a tattoo artist in Manchester, England. And when a recent client came to him with a bold idea, he was so stoked about this idea that he did this tattoo for free. There's a picture of Dean on the screen there. The client was a uh, a friend who uh, hates working out, but he wanted to have the look of a well-toned six-pack of abs. And so he asked Gunther to tattoo the look onto his stomach. Gunther said, I had seen some really bad ones attempted before. Uh, Because I specialize in color realism, he said, I wanted to give it a go. Of course, it wasn't the the only technical challenge, uh, only the technical challenge that got him on board. He also had an additional motivation. He said, I thought it would be kind of funny. So that was his motivation there. So uh, once they completed this two-day process, they took a video, they shared it on TikTok. Where else would you share a video? To verify the rapidly spreading rumor of the six-pack abs, the six-pack tat. Uh, it looks pretty impressive from a, from a distance. Now, Gunther's followers responded with a, a combination of disbelief and some with bemused congratulation. One user summed it up uh, with the the approach with just a simple statement. They wrote, if you can't tone it, tat it. (laughs) Well, that's a a novel idea to portray fitness, I suppose, isn't it? Well, over the, uh, the last several weeks, we've been studying this letter the Apostle Paul wrote to this young minister named Timothy. Now, the Ephesian church, the Ephesian church had their share of troubles, but Paul believed Timothy was up to the task. We looked uh, several weeks in chapter three when we talked about uh, some of the key doctrinal teachings about the church, about church leadership and the core foundational elements of the truth of the gospel. Now, as we come into chapter four, we're going to see that there's some personal advice and some encouragement from this seasoned missionary and preacher, Paul, to this young church leader, Timothy. And it's, it's a great letter, of course, for, for any preacher to read because it, it teaches them how to be a good minister. But it's also good for everyone in the church. Because as we've talked about all through 1 Timothy, the principles in this letter apply to every Christian because we are all called to serve in ministry. And so if we want to create a healthy church environment to serve the Lord, we must maintain our own spiritual fitness because we understand that serving Jesus is more than a tattoo. Isn't that right? Serving Jesus is more than a cross or a bumper sticker or a t-shirt or any other outward adornment that we might choose. In our text today, Paul instructs Timothy on the kinds of healthy choices that we can make 
to remain spiritually fit. So let's look at a few of those. The, our spiritual fitness begins with, number one, pure teaching. Pure teaching. In, in verses one through seven, Paul starts with some comparison and contrast, if you will. He shows Timothy the right things to teach by pointing out the wrong teachings that were making the rounds there in Ephesus. So I'd like for us to, to read these first seven verses together. The words are on the screen. Let's read these together from 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Amen. The word of God. So Paul was concerned because, as he said in, in chapter 1, the pure and sincere faith that he had brought to Ephesus was being corrupted. Men and women from within the Ephesian church were teaching and spreading doctrines that were different, different from Paul's teaching, different from the true gospel of faith in Jesus Christ. So I want to take just a few moments to understand what kinds of teachings the Christians, the Christians in the Ephesian church were confronting. Now, we know from church history that these teachings came to be known eventually as Gnosticism. Gnosticism, that word comes from a Greek word, that, uh, the word is gnosis, and it means to know. And so Gnosticism within the early church promoted a sort of secret or insider knowledge that was supposedly put its followers into a, we might call it a special class of knowing ones, if you will. It was elitist. It was exclusive. Now, Gnosticism itself had kind of two different competing camps. One group promoted permissivism, all right? They didn't call it that, but we'll call it that. Permissivism, which means basically anything goes. If it feels good, do it. Kind of like the philosophy that we live with in 21st century America. Now, these early Christian Gnostics, they borrowed a lot of ideas from Greek philosophy and pagan faiths. We've talked about the uh, sexual immorality and the pursuit of wealth that was promoted right there in Ephesus down the street at the Artemis Temple that would have been so prevalent in the, the culture of the Ephesian church. And they would take those, those philosophies and ideas and kind of blend them together with parts of the Christian faith and Christian concepts. Well, the, the second group uh, uh, focus of Gnosticism focused on what we'll call asceticism. Uh, it's the opposite, opposite ex, uh, uh, spectrum from pessimism. Asceticism uh, pursued 
severe self-discipline, extreme self-denial, and avoidance of all forms of fleshly indulgence. And the specific philosophy that was plaguing the Ephesian church was likely a form of this asceticism, a legalistic mindset that says the way to true spiritual enlightenment is to deny the body, especially of its basic needs. Paul illustrates this in in verse 3 when he says that these false teachers forbid marriage and they required abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so the idea that true spirituality requires someone, for instance, to be single or to avoid pleasure, that doesn't come from Scripture. It comes from the philosophies of the Greeks and from the religions of the East. Unfortunately, though, teachings about not marrying and other forms of asceticism wormed their way into the church. These kinds of teachings, you know, they still influence people today. People who focus solely on what you have to do or not do in order to be truly spiritual. We've been talking a lot about this as we've worked through 1 Timothy. So Paul made it clear that everything that God created is good. Look at verses 4 and 5. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. You see, Paul didn't have any patience for teachings that take our eyes off the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want us just to see kind of how he described some of these false teachers. In verse 1 of the text today, he says they have abandoned or departed from the faith. The gospel of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ was just too simple for these quote-unquote advanced thinkers. After all, how could they have power over people who would simply put their faith in Christ alone? And so they turned away from Jesus Christ. And when they did, they wandered off into what Paul called doctrines of demons. We need to understand this, that God has given us one true message. But you know, Old Satan, he has an unlimited supply of false messages. And it's very predictable when a teacher or a preacher abandons God's word that they will eventually wander into some form of either permissivism or legalistic asceticism. Paul called the false teachers in verse 2, Paul sometimes is kind of mean, isn't he? He calls them hypocritical liars. He says their consciences have been seared. You know, when something is seared, it's numbed, it becomes calloused, it has no feeling. And he says their consciences are just calloused. In other words, they convince themselves that they are above and beyond any outside standards. And so it's no surprise that they themselves often do not follow the very rules that they're trying to apply to their own followers. I was thinking about what's a good illustration of that. And I thought about, you know, some of these TV evangelists that jet around the world in their private jets, while all the while they're encouraging people to keep sending that money in, folks, little old widows from their social security checks, funding the, the, uh, the abhorrent 
attitude and behaviors of these guys. That would be a good example, I think, of not following the very things that you seek to put on others. So Timothy couldn't ignore these false teachers because they were determined to convince others to join them. They weren't content to just walk away from the gospel by themselves. They wanted to convince members of the Ephesian church to join them. Did you know that statistics show us that the vast majority of cult members today are former members of church congregations? Isn't that interesting? You know, there are plenty of unsaved people out there, but false teachers almost always target church folks. Now, it makes sense that Satan wouldn't bother to target the lost. After all, they're already his, aren't they? And so his focus is so often on immature or uninformed Christians, those who are not spiritually healthy. And they're not healthy because they're not being filled with the pure teaching of God's word. And so these false teachers were coming right into the church at Ephesus, and we might even say they were confiscating the pulpit, all right? They were teaching this stuff. Now, back then, the only way that anyone could spread a teaching was person to person, right? There was no television or internet or podcasts or radios, not even a microphone to help people in the back row hear a little better. No, they, there were no printing presses. And, and even if something was written on a scroll, most people wouldn't be able to read it. Now, false teachers today, they don't need to come into the church and shove the preacher out of the way. They can come right into our homes. Anytime we turn on the television, anytime we peruse the internet on our phone or our tablet. And so as Christ followers, we need to be on guard against the teachings and philosophies that conflict with God's word. Everything that we hear, we should if you will, press it through the filter of God's word before we let it into our hearts and minds. We can't afford, friends, to just soak up the teachings of our culture. That's the way that false teaching can get into the local church today. If we don't filter it out, we bring it in with us. And this is why Paul told Timothy in verse 6, if you put these things, these truths, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. That's what we need to be about, folks. Well, next Paul goes on to explain, though, that the Christian life isn't only about pure teaching. As important as that pure teaching is, it's also about, number two, focused training. Focused training. Paul was evidently a sports enthusiast. He makes pretty frequent use of metaphors that feature athletics or fitness in, in many of his letters. And in our text today, Paul tells Timothy in verse 8, for while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. 
So let's use Paul's analogy and let's just kind of think about what type of training that we might need in order to stay spiritually fit, all right? The primary one that I want to share with you today is that we need to avoid eating spiritual junk food, all right? We need to put the junk food away, folks. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Now, the first century Greeks and Romans loved to tell tales and stories about their gods. That's gods with a little g, right? And they love to talk about their demigods, half man, half God, and to explain the popular superstitions of the day. Or we're much more uh, advanced today, aren't we, in our 21st century? And so I thought, what are some 21st century junk foods or cultural fables that we need to avoid? so that we can focus on training on, 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 in godliness. So I, I want to share with you just briefly five fables. Fable number one, prevalent in our culture, is follow your heart. Isn't that a great thing? Follow your heart. Oh my goodness, that is a horrible idea, okay? Stop following your heart unless your heart is completely aligned with God and his word. Just because your heart tells you something is the right thing to do doesn't mean it is. How many times have you thought, I would love to do this, or this just feels right, and then had it end badly? The history of pain in this world is built on people who followed their hearts Again, unless their heart was aligned with the heart of God. If we make hearts our gods and ask them to lead us, they're going to lead us into misery and ultimately damnation. They cannot save us because what's wrong with our hearts is the heart of the problem, if you will. What's wrong with our hearts is the heart of the problem. But if our hearts align with God, believe in God as they are designed to, then God will save and lead our hearts to real, true, and lasting joy. Don't follow your heart. Follow Jesus. I want you to remember this. Jesus did not say to his disciples, let not your hearts be troubled, just believe in your hearts. It's not what Jesus said. If you remember what he said in John 14, 1, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so rather than following our hearts, we follow Jesus. Here's another fable, a myth of our culture today. Success is measured by money, sex, and power. Now, None of these things in and of themselves are bad. God is the author and creator of all of them. And so when used as God intended, they are good indeed. But if any of these things are our marker for the good life or a standard by which we gauge our reputation or our worth or our significance, then we are going to find 
out what living in the rat race is really, really like. And in the end, we're going to discover like old King Solomon did. After he tried it all, his conclusion was, it's all meaningless. Vanity, he says. Meaningless in terms of ultimate value. You can read the book of Ecclesiastes and come to understand that. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ. He said in, in Colossians chapter 1, kind of defining what success is, he says, what is success? Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen. Here's another popular fable or myth of our culture. Live without boundaries. No one can tell me what to do. You know, a few years back, I don't know if you remember this, Outback Steakhouse, they had a slogan. It was, no rules, just rights. Now, I, I didn't even want that to be true at Outback. I hope they follow some rules when they made my, my dinner, don't you? I hope they followed some rules of cleanliness back there in the kitchen before they brought my food out. I hope somebody washed their hands and didn't sneeze in my food and, and, and made sure the expiration date was good. Now, I get it. They, they were trying to, to help us understand that we could have the food anyway. We wanted it. But do we understand even that is within the rules? Is that right? A world without boundaries is a world of chaos. There's a, a reason we panic when a criminal is on the loose in our community or someone veers onto the side of our road, or, or a restaurant gives its customers salmonella because they broke the, the rules of good sanitation. Without boundaries, we die. Everything has a design and a purpose, which means that there is a formal or informal instructional manual that shows us how things are meant to be. And under what circumstances they will flourish. Within boundaries, we live. That is true in the spiritual as well as the natural world. We are created to live within godly boundaries. One of the most devastating forms of this lie in our culture is that unfettered, blatant freedom to choose whatever sexual lifestyle or action we want is empowering and healthy. It's not. It's not healthy emotionally or mentally or physically. If we let sociology and culture or popular thinking point us toward the good life sexually or in any other form of our life, then we're going to find that we're going to end up with a seared conscience, just like Paul wrote about. Depression, despair, disappointment. But instead, if we let God, our designer, tell us what to do for our good and for his glory, we will experience true freedom. Here's another fable that's so prevalent in our culture. You're perfect just the way you are. You're on the right track, baby. You were born that way. No, you're not. And I'm not either. I don't know if you know this, but y'all have some issues, right? I have some issues too. And if you don't know it, you need to find out pretty quickly. 
You're going to find out that your, your teacher's going to give you a bad grade and you'll probably have earned it. Your boss will write you up and you probably deserved it. Your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your husband or wife will rightly be upset with you because you messed up in some way. Your parents will not like every decision you make. And if you're on social media, at some point you're going to make a fool of yourself out there. All right? That's just the way it is. Because you got some issues and so do I. You see, no one is perfect but God. And he too is well aware of our deficits. Is that right? So if anything, we should be relieved to know that we're not perfect just as we are. You know what? If I'm perfect just the way I am, I'm pretty, I'm pretty disappointed in the way things are. That would also mean that there's, there's no way that we can improve if we're good just the way we are. And if that were true, then we would be full of despair. I, I like what the, the great Christian author C.S. Lewis wrote. He said, God wants to take the shack of your life and turn it into a mansion. Isn't that a great phrase? That's from his, his book, Mere Christianity. But you know what? For God to take our shack and make it into a mansion, guess what? It's going to take some remodeling, some reworking on his part. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to hide the fact that we're imperfect. We all know it already. And it's okay. Because none of us are perfect. And it is, friends, in the midst, in the midst of our weakness, that the strength of God can be seen most clearly. One more fable I want to share. Very popular and prevalent in our culture. Believe in yourself. You can do anything. My goodness, that, that fable is ingrained in our American psyche. I, I appreciate what, what's trying to be accomplished here. You probably are more capable than you think you are. And, and, and I think we ought to be good with that. But, friends, you will always let yourself down. I hope you understand that. You will always let yourself down. Last night I was watching the, the track meet down here at Hayward Field on, on television and one of the guys, he, uh, he got the silver medal instead of the gold. And here on TV, as they're interviewing, they're saying, oh, how do you feel about this? And he looks into the camera and he says, I'm sorry, mom. I'm sorry, mom. This is an accomplished, world-class athlete. He's just done a, a great physical feat. And it's not enough. Because he believed he could do anything. And therefore, he's continually disappointed. And he feels like he's disappointing the people around him. Friends, that's not where God wants us to be. We are all limited by who we are, by the circumstances around us. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. It's the way life is. And by the way, believing less in ourselves... I want you to understand that that can be freeing. When we believe less in ourselves, when we no longer believe we have all the power to be the best parent or spouse or employee or neighbor that we should be, guess what? Then we are free to believe that Jesus has the power. That the, with the help of his Holy Spirit, that we can continually improve. Without that, we are without hope. 
because it's all wrapped up in what we can do. And so friends, believe in Jesus, not yourself. Believe in Jesus and then you can do just what he calls you to do, which is far better than anything that this world has to offer. Friends, there are plenty of other spiritual junk foods that we need to avoid. These are just a few examples. But ultimately, it all comes down to this. Will I chase the silly, empty, feeble myths of this world? Because that's what they are. Or will my attitudes and my actions and my behaviors be shaped by the godly pursuits that are outlined in Scripture? Well, no athlete, no coach is going to be satisfied with anything less than victory. And Paul and Timothy, they had that same attitude. Healthy choices for God's people include pursuing that pure truth, focusing on that training, and then Paul ends up this kind of pep talk with Timothy by talking about the importance of, number three, having a clear testimony. A clear testimony. In verse 16 of the text, Paul says, Keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy, and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Brothers and sisters, our testimony, our testimony is what we say, what we announce. Our, the, the word testimony literally means a solemn declaration. So our testimony is a solemn declaration of God's truth in our life. That's what Paul understood. That in the end, the only thing that we can successfully share with others is what we ourselves possess in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9, in verse 27, Paul said, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others... I myself should be disqualified. So it wasn't enough for Paul to have his testimony influence others for Christ. He understood the need for himself to grow in Christ along the way. And Paul wanted Timothy to develop that same kind of authentic Christian life. He told him in verse 15 of our text, Practice these things. Practice means do it over and over and over again. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them, Timothy. Immerse them, yourself in them, Christian people of Garden Way Church, so that all may see your progress. It's like we're all down at Hayward Field running in the track meet. We're all watching each other. And we've been practicing and practicing and now we're living out these truths of Christ Jesus in our life for one another to see. Paul was an amazing mentor and coach for Timothy. And what a faithful minister Timothy turned out to be. I want you to listen to these words that, that Paul said about Timothy later on when he wrote another letter, the letter to the Philippians in chapter two. Listen to what he, he wrote about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. I have no one else like him. What a phrase. Nobody else like Timothy who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. 
But you know that Timothy, Timothy has proved himself. Timothy had a testimony. Timothy's proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. That's what Paul has to say about Timothy. That is a great testimony, isn't it? For Paul to to make that solemn declaration about Timothy as he sends him out to another church. A news report from the Global Wellness Institute. That's a a nonprofit that's focused on on the research of health and wellness. Well, they found that Americans spend 264 billion, that's billion, not million, billion dollars every year on physical activity. Far more than any other nation around the world. Think about that for a moment. The United States leads the world in spending for every segment, including fitness classes, $37 billion of fitness classes. Sports and recreation, $58 billion. Here's one, apparel and footwear, that swoosh, all right, on on your shoe, on your shirt. $117 billion Americans spend on apparel and footwear related to sports and fitness. Another 37 billion on equipment and supplies, uh, uh, 10 billion on something called mindful movement. That's stuff like yoga and stuff like that. And then related technology, another, just another eight billion thrown in there. 300 or 264 billion dollars on sports, physical activity. And yet, You knew that was coming, right? The and yet. According to the medical journal, The Lancet, for all of this spending, the United States ranks 143rd for actual participation in physical activity. We spend the most, but we're not even the top 100 when it comes to physical activity. Think about that for a moment. More than 40% of Americans fail to meet the global standard of 150 minutes per week of moderate physical activity. Think about that. All right, friends, knowledge about Jesus without actually trusting and obeying him is not true spiritual fitness. It's like paying for a gym membership and buying all kinds of expensive uh, equipment and clothes and apparel and then tossing it all into the closet and thinking about how spiritually fit you are. It's just a joke. Friends, we must combine the pure truth of God's word with the focused training so that we, like Timothy, can have the clear testimony. With any skill, any performance, information enough is not alone. uh, Enough. Information alone is not enough. It must be translated into know-how, right? It's not enough just to know the stuff, but we need to know how to do it, and then we need to do it. That's true for athletes. It's true for musicians and actors and plumbers and woodworkers and engineers and computer programmers and medical people and auto mechanics and what else? Bank tellers? I don't know. But guess what? It is especially true for followers of Jesus Christ. We must know the pure truth. And then we must train with it. 
practice it, do it in our life. So friends, may we live out the truth of the gospel every single day as we train for the final race. Because guess what? The Lord, he's our coach, but he's also our audience. And guess what else? He's also the race leader. He's showing us the way. How cool is that? That's the Lord that we serve as we prepare ourselves to be spiritually healthy, spiritually fit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that reminds us of the great power of your spirit in our life, Lord, that we don't need to live life on our own, but God, that you are right there with us, showing us the way, encouraging us, leading us, guiding us, convicting us, teaching us. Father, thank you for your perfect plan as you lead us out of this world of darkness and into your kingdom of glorious light. Father, may we pursue the pure truth. Father, may we focus our training on being ready so that we have a clear testimony of your work in our life. Guide us today as we leave this place, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our coach, our leader. Amen. Amen. In a moment, we're going to sing together a closing song. I want you to know that our, our elders each Sunday are ready to pray with you. Today, I see Randy Wheeler back there in the corner, and, and he would be privileged to pray with you, for you. Perhaps you have a spiritual decision to make. Maybe you need some help in getting spiritually fit. Maybe you want to pray for someone else who is struggling in some area of life. So uh, Randy, and I see Dick Beswick has joined him as well. They would be just honored to pray with you in that important and vital ministry of prayer. So let's stand together. And as we sing, you can make your way back there. May God bless us today.